Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. We've been going through Ephesians, um, the book of Ephesians, and um, today we are camping out in chapter 4. And chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, talks a lot about unity. And Jesus talks a lot about unity. And when I think about unity in the body of Christ, if I'm honest, over the years I've, I've had some questions and some had to wrestle with some of the issues around unity. How do we, how do we hold on to with integrity some of the distinct beliefs that we have as a church when maybe they don't line up with some of the other churches in the area? How do we hold on to, with integrity, some of the beliefs that we have when maybe there's people around us that don't always share the same view? How do we keep unity in that place? Does unity mean that we agree on absolutely everything? These are some of the things that I've had to wrestle with. I've been in church my whole life. These are some of the things we've had to wrestle with over the years. And... Because the thing is, we're, we're probably all in different places. If I was to share a number of different issues, I remember at Bible college, um, one of the first subjects we done was, uh, I can't remember, remember exactly what the subject was, but our lecturer just put a whole heap of statements out there and he got us all to stand up. And he said, if you agree with this statement, you can go over this side of the room. If you disagree, you can go over this side of the room. If you're undecided, you go in the middle. And he would say statements like, Jesus is the Son of God. And thankfully, everyone went to the right side of the room, into the agreeing. But then he started getting into some of the more, you know, we, we, our Bible college was a non-denominational one, so there's people from lots of different denominations. So he would make a statement like, should women preach? And there was a spance right across the room on where people stood on that. Um, he would make statements like, does politics mix with the kingdom? And there would be, again, people from all different spectrums of whether they agree or disagree or whatever. And he went through issue after issue. And we learned very quickly that we all stood in slightly different places. And so how is it that we can be unified in the middle of that? How is it that we can be unified when we don't all agree on the same issues or we don't all sit in the same place. And I believe the passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, you can open it, um, be up on the screen as well. But I believe our passage this morning reveals some of the key attitudes that we need to have to navigate through some of the questions that arise around unity. It should be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, verses 1 through to 6, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We are encouraged here that there is one body that there is one faith, that there is one church. We're encouraged to maintain unity in the body. There may be lots of different expressions of what that looks like, but there is one body. 
This passage encourages us to live a life worthy of the call. How do we do that? It says, how do we do that? We, um, how do we do that? We do it by being humble. We do it by being gentle. And we do it by being patient with one another. If we are to reflect the worth of our calling, then we are to be loving and gentle and patient with our dealings with one another in the body of Christ. We can't separate ourselves thinking we have a monopoly on the truth. We're in the truth corner and they're not in the truth corner. We can't do that. We're actually called to keep the unity, keeping the bonds of peace with one another. We're called to be patient and humble and patient in our dealings with one another. But how do we do that while still holding on to some of the views that maybe aren't shared by the wider church community? How do we do that when even here in our family that we would have different views and opinions on, on theology and, and issues and they may, we, that we may share different views on? How do we do that? You know what? Church history suggests that we haven't always responded to our differences in a kingdom-type, Jesus-loving way. The call to love our enemies and be nonviolent towards people is a core value within the kingdom of God. However, we see in church history that Christians would actually pick up the sword and act in a violent way, saying, I'm going to take back the land for God, take back the land. And we only have to go back, you know, four or five hundred years to see that Christians were actually being killed for holding this nonviolent view of the kingdom of God. And so how do we hold on to our views with integrity and maintain unity in the body? I want to talk about an attitude that I believe this passage draws us to this morning. You know, I grew up thinking that this whole Christian thing was about heaven and hell. And if I was to repent and give my life to Jesus, that I could go to heaven. I've come to discover that it is so much more than that. It is so much more than that. I spent some time in um, YWAM over in Canada, in Kelowna. I just see Pete. I mean, sorry, Dean and Ash have just been over hanging out in Kelowna. I was over there for six months and in Vancouver. And when I was over there, um, spending some time is, uh, I don't know if you know about Warren, it's um, Youth with a Mission and it's just discipleship training school and it's just pretty intense and you just go and you really just focus on God, the kingdom, what it is that, that God has called us to. Anyway, it was really cool. Um, um, I discovered that Jesus talks a whole lot about the kingdom and my worldview shifted and changed quite a bit when I went to YWAM shifted away from more a local church setting, and that's important, don't hear me wrong, shifted to a kingdom perspective, and I got the, the kingdom perspective on what it is we are doing here. I discovered that Jesus talked a whole lot about the kingdom of God, and there was a whole lot more to this Christian thing than me just believing in Jesus, getting saved, and so I didn't have to go to hell. I discovered that the kingdom is about the power and presence of God now. I discovered that it's about transformed lives now. 
I discovered that Jesus is at work in our lives now, leading us through to a place where he always wanted us to be reconciled with him through a relationship with him. I discovered that the kingdom of God looks like Jesus, that a life that's been transformed by God looks like Jesus. When the kingdom of God shows up, it looks like Jesus. If you're wondering how to distinguish the difference between the kingdom of God and all the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of God look like the kingdom of God looks like Jesus. If you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like in a group of people, it's a group of people, us, it's a group of people that serve like Jesus, that love like Jesus, that are self-sacrificial like Jesus, that care for the poor like Jesus, that accept and forgive like Jesus. The church is the body of Christ, and we are called to manifest and look and act like Jesus. Jesus embodied the kingdom, and we are the body of Christ. And so we are called to live a kingdom Jesus lifestyle. And so the way that we recognize the kingdom isn't by asking people what they believe but by seeing if they love and serve like Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever is getting their life and their identity and their value from Jesus will look like him and be moving towards the life of Jesus Christ. When we surrender to the will of God, you know what? He pours his DNA into us. Something changes on the inside. And we begin a journey of being transformed into the likeness and love of Jesus Christ. And so while our beliefs are important, the Christian life is so much more than what we believe. It's about being transformed and living out of Christ-like love in the way that we deal with each other, in the way that we accept each other, and the way that we walk with each other. You know, one of the most fundamental verses for me surrounding, and I guess I'm flowing through what the kingdom of God looks like, what it means to be a Jesus follower. You know, we hear a lot about love, but for me, this is where the rubber hits the road. Matthew chapter 5, 43 um, should be up on the screen. It says this. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Man, we could camp out in that scripture for a long time for it to begin to manifest and outwork in the way we live our life. It's easy to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Anyone can do that. That's what the world does. But to live submitted to Jesus in the kingdom of God means that we receive and are empowered to love like Jesus did. In this passage, we see that he loves like the rain falls. When the rain falls, it doesn't discriminate and say, you can have some rain and you can't have some rain. The rain just falls. When the sun shines, the, the, the rays of the sun don't say, you haven't been good enough, so you're not going to get some rays today. The rays just, they just fall where they fall. The rain falls where it falls, and the sun shines where the sun shines. God's love 
is like that towards us. And we are called to have that same love. We are called to love like that. We are called to love like Jesus. That's a challenge, right? That's a big challenge. But that's the love we're called to have. When we're submitted to God, we are empowered to love like that, even our enemies. It's important to understand that when Jesus talks about enemies in this passage, in first century Palestine, to the Jews, the Romans were their enemies. The Romans dominated the time. They, they led and they were oppressive. They inflated taxes. They would take your children away from you if you couldn't pay your debts. They would take bunches of innocent people and, and just murder them and, and crucify them just to show that they were, the, they were powerful and they were dominant. This is what the Jewish culture was living in when Jesus come and said, you're called to love your enemies. That's a tough gig right there, right? Jesus comes along and says, love your enemies, serve them. If we look in Luke's gospel, it actually says, do good to them. And here's the thing, Jesus didn't just say it, he lived it out. Jesus lived out a life where he laid down his life for his enemies. He chose to serve. When, when Peter took up the sword and cut off one of the guys that come to arrest Jesus, Jesus rebuked him and says, that's not what my kingdom looks like, Peter. That's not what it looks like. And he picks up the ear of his enemy, the guy that come to arrest him, and he heals him. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. It's radical. It's a love that is 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 it's a love that our world needs. It's the way we bring unity into a hurting culture. It's the way we bring unity into a culture that that sees a gap between us and the church and us and God. It's loving the way that Jesus loved. You know, in that passage, you know, sometimes passages just kind of jump out at you. Not so long ago, that passage in Matthew chapter 5, if we can get that back up just for a second. Verse 45 says this, That you may be, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The implication is this, that to be a child of God means you love like that. To be a child of God means you love your enemies and choose to serve our enemies. I'm not saying this is easy by any stretch of the imagination, but this is the word of God, right? And so we've got to surrender to that and, and allow it begin to outwork in the way we live our life. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. The implication is that to be a child of God is that we love like that. 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? It's called the power of the one principle. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. You can look at all the other things that the world might throw at us and tell us about love. But the Word of God says this. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And so while we may ask this individually of ourselves, we need to also ask to what degree does the church manifest, display this kind of love? This to me appears to be a foundational test, if you like, to being a Jesus follower, a child of God, is to love like this. And so whatever your beliefs are, and your beliefs are important, please don't hear me wrong, but your beliefs don't trump or cancel out your responsibility to love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and we've, we've heard this passage time and time again at weddings, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all the knowledge there is to know. You can have all the ability, all the talent. You can prophesy. You can speak words of knowledge into people's lives. You can speak in tongues. But unless you manifest a cross, Jesus-type sacrificial love for your enemy's type of love, it's a waste of time. It's just a crashing symbol. The interesting thing is that as we look through history, where we see millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people being persecuted or killed for not believing the right thing, for being a heretic, for being a witch or this or that, or having the wrong lifestyle. No one has ever been persecuted or killed for not loving enough. And so if this is where it is, where everything kind of rises and falls on this test of having this Christ-like love, then not to have this type of love, in essence, is really a sin because we're going against what God asks us to do. Whenever God asks us to do or, or head towards that place of having this love, and the only way we can have this love that loves enemies like Jesus did is through simply surrendering to him and trusting him and walking the journey out. That's the only way we can be filled with that. You can't give something away that you don't have. But that's the kind of love that we receive from Jesus. Paul implies in 1 Corinthians 13 that if we get this point wrong, loving like Jesus, Paul says, it doesn't really matter what other things you write about. You're still wrong. So yes, our beliefs may be somewhat different, but the things we are unified in is what is manifesting a Christ-like love to one another. That's the thing we're called to be united in. That's the thing that unites us across the globe against all the differences and all the challenges. The thing that unites us is the fact that we are called to have a Christ-like love, a love that loves our enemies. One of the keys to staying unified is having this, this attitude of humility. While our beliefs may be different, we're encouraged in this passage in Ephesians to be completely humble, to be gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love, not being arrogant about what we believe, that I'm in the right club and you're in the wrong club. We don't get our life and our purpose and our identity from being right. We get our life and our purpose from Jesus Christ. We don't get our life and our purpose for what we believe about certain issues. 
or political issues or this or that or what. We don't get our life from that. We get our life from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Matthew chapter 7 says this. It says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you will be judged, you, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, you will be measured um, too. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is one of the attitudes I believe that we're drawn to in this passage in Ephesians. One of the attitudes where we're called to have to live a life of unity. The attitude is, is this, that Jesus says, when you're tempted to look or point out something in someone else's life, what are we called to do? We're called to shift focus back to ourselves. Shift focus back to ourselves and, and see the stuff in our life, see the sin in our life or whatever it is as being a hundred times worse than anything we could see in someone else's. And if we truly do that, there's no room to judge people. There's only space to love and serve we're no better. We don't have the monopoly on truth. We're called to love and serve like Jesus did. Judgment gets in the way of us loving like Jesus did. Other versions say, make room for other people's faults. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full attention. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, when I hear... Here's a trustworthy saying. I can't get any clearer than that. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If we adopt that attitude, it's not a competition that I'm the worst. Although, you know, I do some dumb stuff. I do. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. It's not a competition. But this is the attitude we're called to have in our dealings with one another. It's not my job to point out people's sin. It's my job to love and serve like Jesus did. If we're, we are truly living these attitudes out, walking in humility, seeing myself as a worse sinner than anyone else, then there's no room to judge but simply to love and serve. When our identity and our purpose and our security, our value, our identity is coming from Christ and Christ alone and not being right about our view or our opinions, then we are free and okay to love and serve and walk alongside people that maybe don't share the same views as you. If we're living out of a place where our core foundation of being a child of God is loving our enemies and serving those who persecute us, then there's no room in that attitude to hate or isolate or marginalize or exclude people. If we're doing that, we're bringing about that unity that Jesus talks about. We're bringing about that unity we just read about. You know what, church, we, as we wrap up this morning, church, we've been given one of the most incredible gifts. We really have. It's a love that loves like no other. It's a love that has no borders. It's a love that allows us to love and serve our enemies. It's a love that helps us lay down. I've got a right. I've got a right. It's a love that helps us lay that down and makes, helps us to be free to serve all people all the time without exemption.
It's a love that has the power to bring unity wherever it goes. It's a love that took and saw Jesus lay down his life for all mankind. It's a love that's so radical, it's hard for the world to get around it, get their head around it. But it's a love that we're called to have. And as we begin to operate that and go into our schools and our workplace and our shopping centers, wherever it is that we find ourselves, as we begin to live this love out, I believe it will transform communities. It will transform families. It will transform the world in which we live. It will transform the enemies that we have. That's the kind of love that's going to change the world. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to have. That's a kingdom of God type love. Would you bow your heads as we pray this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. And if we're honest, we admit that it's challenging to love our enemies. Father God, it's hard sometimes when people persecute us. But God, we say we want to be your people. We want to be children of God. We want to be a people that love like Jesus did. The people that are hard to love, Father God, it wasn't hard for you. Father well, God, we ask that in these moments this morning, we just surrender to you afresh. We ask, Father God, that you would speak to us. In amongst the challenges of, of maybe hearing your word this morning or whatever it might be, Father God, we just say we surrender to you. We want to be your children. We want to be a body of people. We want to be your church that rises up with this radical love, Jesus, that you poured out for us. Father God, help us to lay down the stuff that gets in the way of us loving like you did. Lord, God, I pray over every single person in this place, right now in this place, that as we just open up our hearts to you, that you would pour your love into us. God, we want to receive. We want to know. Father God, we want it to flow through us into the communities, into the people around us. We want them to experience that same love that you have poured into us. God, we surrender to you afresh, and we give you thanks. And everybody said, Amen.